This is Top Floor, episode 34. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 34. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. A native New Yorker, Jody Merle attended the University of North Carolina before heading west for California. Jody got her start in the movies where she got connected with legendary hotelier Severin Ashkenazi, founder of L'Hermitage Beverly Hills. After helping build the L'Hermitage Grand Collection Hotel Empire in LA and New York, Jody moved on to leading hotels of the world before helping a barter company set up their new travel division. When Jody realized she could do it better herself, she founded Innovative Travel Marketing, bringing her high-end luxury hotel contacts along for the ride. In a world where most businesses fail in the first year, Jody and Innovative Travel Marketing are still going strong, celebrating the company's 30th anniversary this year. Today, we'll talk about how advertising fits in a hotel's marketing mix. But before we jump in, we have to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. If you'd like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Linda. And Linda says... We want to increase our wedding business. What's the right time of year to advertise? Ah, what do you think, Jody? What's the right time of year? Holidays are always great. Wedding business is very big from Christmas through Valentine's Day. So definitely December, Jan, Feb. It's the engagement season. Like people love yeah. to knock out those big special occasion gifts with an engagement ring. So that's a good time to do it. I would also say that there's not really a bad time. I don't think that there's a wedding season so much anymore. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what I'm seeing. And I'm getting invited to weddings all times of the year. So I don't think there's a bad time. So Jody, you have had an extremely glamorous career. I'm sure it hasn't all been a bed of roses, but when I found out that you were the director's assistant on one of my favorite movies, Xanadu, I may have squealed out loud. How did you go from the movie business to the hotel business? Well, I was very lucky to have fallen into the movie business. And besides working for the director, the producer of Xanadu was Larry Gordon. And Larry lived at L'Hermitage Hotels. And L'Hermitage was a little bit of a very secret haven for divorce producers, some Hollywood executives. There was a lot of good things going on there. So I would frequent L'Hermitage for script changes and a lot of different errands that had to be done at that time. So I got to know him. And with that, I got to know Severin Ashkenazi, who is the owner of L'Hermitage. So he saw a 
I guess, bright young lady who was running around. And he said, I think I want her to come and work here for me so I can bring in all those terrific Hollywood executives to pay the prices he was asking at Lermitage Hotels. So in the day, I guess a little bit of transition in Hollywood from then to now, back in those days, it was very, very chauvinistic. And even if you wanted to be an associate producer, because we went from Xanadu to making 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, oh, wow. I wanted to be the associate producer of that movie. Of course. So, you know, in those days, it was Dawn Steele pretty much next door at Paramount, and there weren't too many ladies. So the opportunity wasn't there, but... Also, Larry was very happy for me to move on to the hospitality business and hotels, entertainment, they go hand in hand. (laughs) Especially there. That's a pretty amazing hotel to have be your very first one. When Lermitage opened in late 1976, I know Mm -hmm. it was the first sort of all suite hotel in the United States. It was routinely awarded five diamonds, five stars, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. After you were there, you moved to leading hotels of the world as its first corporate director of sales. What can you tell us about that? What was that time in your career like? It was fascinating. First of all, working at Lermitage was an amazing experience. It's the height of uh, service, 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 perfection the customer's number one. It was the days of having one staff to one guest. It was... Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. The employee staff restaurant was amazing. And it was perfection of a different level when you have someone like Mr. Ashkenazi who the orange juice had to be tested and it was perfect. If it was too acidic, it didn't work. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Who did that? Was it like the... Mr. Ashkenazi would come in the morning, he would test the orange juice. He was just a perfectionist. He was a real Renaissance man. Fascinating. I learned so much from him. It was an incredible time for me. And uh, it, it was a very easy transition because we had caviar on the roof. We had the best guests in the world. You knew what it was to really serve people before where Schultz came in with, you know, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. It was another level of European service in the United States. So understanding that type of luxury. Also, when you walked into L'Hermitage, the foyer was filled with magnificent art that Mr. Ashkenazi, who was a survivor, brought over. So you're in the lobby, there's a Van Gogh, there's a Harpinier, there's a Delacroix. And you know, Mr. Ashkenazi would say, if people don't appreciate this, then they're peasants. So, <laughs> you know, so it was, it was, a, it was a good transition from Lermitage moving from LA. Uh, I had gone to New York to open up a regional office for LA, uh, Lermitage as well. And in those days, you really, really taught the travel agents. They were open to listen. They were open for conversation. I would literally walk into every travel agency, luxury travel agency in the New York area and Chicago, San Francisco. And we worked and we brought in images and I brought in fresh squeezed orange juice. And <laughs> I was going to say, did you taste uh, the orange of juice? Course I did. You brought it? Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was a very different time. It was because you were able to really connect with 
the corporate travel managers and connect with the travel agents. They knew you really well. They came to trust you. They called you. I'm sending my top VIPs to you know your place. So going from Lermitage to leading hotels of the world was uh, a fabulous experience. I sat down on my first day and faced their inimitable head of travel agency. And I was the first person there ever dealing with the corporate market. Oh, leading hotels of the world, you know, had X number of hotels. They never wanted to have more than 200. They were the best hotels in the world. And they were not reaching out to the corporate travel managers that were running, what, $25 million billion of business, really, but probably billion dollars of business. And I'll never forget it. Nina Gorison walked in the door to Lermitage, to leading hotels of the world. And she was the manager of the Hotel du Rhone in Geneva. And she said, well, I need the banks to come to my hotel. How do we get them? I want to do a luncheon next week. And in two minutes, you know, I picked up the phone and called all the people who used to come and stay at Lermitage. And we had the top travel managers and did a luncheon. And that was the beginning. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was very exciting. Did those hotels not want corporate travel or did they just not know that that was something you could sell to? Right. It was a different, it was a different world. It was all very leisure oriented. And at that time, they really didn't have a corporate rate program at all. So it was something that I worked with the team and actually developed a corporate rate directory for the leading hotels of the world. Gotcha. Yeah. So you started your company after obviously a very successful hotel and travel sales career. Did you always have this sort of secret desire to be an entrepreneur? Like, What made you take that leap? I think timing is everything. I think the support of your friends and family and the people you work with make a very big difference. I was working for a large corporate barter company just doing travel for them. And I realized that these were my clients. They came to me because they knew me at leading. They trusted me, whether it was Rich Carlton, you know, it, it didn't matter. You know, the Phoenician, all these beautiful, beautiful hotels. They they knew Jody. Mm-hmm. So it was really more about Jody than the company. And it just was a very good time when the company I was working with was changes. And some of the people had said, we're going to move and start our own. And Jody, why don't you start your own too? Um, my father was definitely an entrepreneur. It's in my genes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started the first Japanese steakhouse in Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> so, you know, doing something different and taking a leap. Um, you kind of make your own luck, right? The harder you work, the luckier you get. True fact. Right. So it was just the time. And it was a moment where I was in the middle of trying to do a campaign for preferred hotels, as well as launch the new Ritz Carlton and Aspen. And all of this was happening. I said, I can do this. And my friend said, here's the office, here's a phone, knock yourself out, whatever business you get, give me the first opportunity to help you with it. Oh, wow. So that's how I started my business. Yeah. So this is such a random aside, but that Ritz Carlton and Aspen had a major renovation when I lived in Denver. Ah. And they brought all of the furniture that they were getting rid of to the hotel where I worked to do a liquidation sale. And so for probably 15 years, half of my uh, <laughs> like little side tables in my house came from that Ritz Carlton and Aspen. Isn't that funny? 
It is funny. Such a small world. I know, especially in the hotel business. Yes. In episode 27 of Top Floor, Lenny Moon and I talked about how cryptocurrency, including his new travel rewards program, Flycoin, is just a representation of value. Now, this may seem like a stretch of a connection. You've probably never been compared to crypto before, but I think there's a parallel with your company Barter is just another way to represent value, right? So can you explain in pretty basic terms how your programs work for hotels and for media companies? Sure, sure. There's real value. Not even just to represent... There's real value in the millions and millions of dollars of hotel rooms that go empty every night. There's real value in the millions of dollars of media space that goes empty. Every night, if it's not used, you're losing it, right? So it's a it's a it's a little bit different in terms of a representation of value. The value doesn't happen until you actually you take that room there and you make something of it. You've got a four hundred dollar room night, and it's going empty that night. It means zero. Uh, you know, so it's a little bit different in the comparison and parallels because it's 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 real hard value for value. I'm going to then give that hotel. back of marketing services for the $400 of value. So barter in essence is just an exchange of unsold goods and services when someone provides goods and services to them. And they're of like value and it's what they're looking for. So we're a media buying and planning company that specializes in the hospitality industry. Both the hotels and the media companies are our clients. So think about the benefit. We have hotel rooms and hoteliers that need to get new business and more business. You have media companies that want to get new business. So pretty simply, you're always looking to maximize new business for both the hotels and the media companies. That's the premise. I'm not stepping on your toes. I'm not going to you know, buy travel and leisure, if you're already a cash advertiser in travel and leisure, and I'm not going to put Meredith in your hotel if they're already a cash customer in your hotel. So think about this. This is all about excess inventory. It's amazing. So now you're going to have a capital fund created from your unsold rooms. So you're your own bank. You have the rooms. You have the money. It's amazing. Very. So when we're talking to a hotel, The program is really simple. We're just exchanging rooms for doing a media buy. And the media buy, in many cases, is as if we were your own advertising agency. We act in the same way. And we're planning and buying, because we're hoteliers, what you need. So it's it's a matter of, okay, we'll take the rooms. We do the media buy. We do an agreement. It's like a direct bill account. It's very simple. When we go to use the rooms, I have a department who is headed up by a luxury hotel person who knows our media clients and also knows the hotel business very well. And we direct new business to the hotels. So they're getting a room, they're getting the value of the room in media. And in addition, they're getting our clients. So rather than let the room go empty or dump it, you're getting a real media executive coming in who then is going to spend more money at the hotel Drinking, eating, using the movies, 
telling everybody where he's staying. It's the benefits are just, they just triplicate. And for the media clients, because I can't, you know, you, I want to sit down with you and say, okay, what are we going to go through your travel trade? You need meeting business. You need leisure business. You want to do weddings. You want to do tactical. Well, how do I get my hands on that media? You get your hands on the media because they know we specialize in the hotel business. They know the kind of clientele we have. They want to stay there. And they're watching their finances and they're watching their, you know, TNA expenses. So if I bring them a beautiful boutique hotel that's not an existing cash advertiser, I'm filling a space in a magazine on the air, on TV. And think about their salespeople. I'm giving them leads. So if I'm going to give them, you know, the, the London or you're going to give them, you know, one of these beautiful hotels, whether it's in New York or L.A. or San Francisco, they're going to march right to their next door neighbor hotel and say, hey, I'm advertising now in my publication on my media. You better get with it and advertise here, too. So it's just a beautiful win-win scenario. It's incredible how it works. It's just common sense, too. That's how it works. It's very, very simple. So I know that you work with some of the most fabulous hotels, luxurious hotels in the US, the Caribbean, and in Mexico. Are your programs only for those that level, like those five-star hotels? No. I have a great story. I, we love stories, right? So years back, we did a very big campaign with Extended Stay America. And it was old school, hard work to get the deal done. So we contacted them because it just seems so viable. They have locations all over. And still, media companies have to travel for photo shoots. They have to travel for a variety of occasions. There are big corporate barter companies that need to not always stay in five-star hotels. So we went to Extended Stay in the days when Wayne Huizenga was running it. And we did a network cable buy for them that was multiple millions of dollars. And in two weeks, the TV campaign we did for them increased business by 20% that they could see and realize. Oh, wow. They're like, wow, this is amazing, right? They're amazing. And then, and then what happens? Blackstone buys them, right? And the rest is history. Okay, wow. And was that one of the more unusual or complicated trades you've ever put together? Or do you have another example of something that was like really strange and and difficult? Let's say nothing is easy. (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, Strange, difficult. I've got a few. I mean, I probably... How I started my business, honestly... Uh, I realized that I had to become a bank. Myself, I had to become a bank to open up the Paramount New York with Ian Schrager. So he only wanted the best. He wanted to launch a 30-second TV spot that he had designed by this fabulous Parisian director. I don't know if you remember the beautiful staircase at the Paramount Hotel. And people were walking backwards down the stairs. Well, Jody, I want to do this. And I have to be on the Academy Awards. And I have to be on Murphy Brown. And I have to be on the best TV shows. And I have to do everything. Well, that's not so easy to trade when these programs are all sold out. And they are all sold out at like a bazillion dollars. Right. Correct. Holy moly. Holy moly. So we had to be very creative. And I called in some friends and we all got together 
And in two weeks, we got Ian on the Academy Awards and we launched the TV campaign and we launched his shabby chic hotel at the $99 rate that has become infamous mm-hmm. back in the day. And it was an incredible story. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of stress. We put we take cr- tremendous risks in the barter business because we laid out all the money for the buy. So that's what you meant by having to be a bank for him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you... I'm going to ask these technical questions. And if I'm getting too much in your business, you can just tell me hard pass. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, you contact the network that's running the Academy Awards and basically say that you're going to pay for it. Is that how you are the bank? Tell me the nitty gritty. Actually, hard cash. So not only do we trade with the media... Think about the value of an unsold room. What is somebody losing? They're losing the value, but it's not costing them anything if I'm using the room at a time when it wouldn't be used because I'm not going to conflict with your busy periods, the holiday periods. Okay, so someone like Ian, many other hoteliers are smart enough to understand that value. I'm going to buy the media up front and then... You know, he's going to give me rooms on an available basis. So if there's a premium, because I had to also entice these various mediums with money as well as barter, we did what we have to do to get this incredible campaign up and running. And in the end, we pay for it up front, whether it's with cash and other services. Um, And it's never just for the one hotel. Why these media companies work with me is they have access to all of my inventory. Gotcha. So the value for you is you've got all of these Ian Schrager rooms in your back pocket for whoever else you need. I get it now. Okay, Exactly right. Yeah. And you just have to be a little bit of a gambler and be smart enough to know. (laughs) That that sounds like a gamble. That's kind of making me nervous. Like, do you ever watch people play roulette or something and they have all this money out and you're just like getting a stomach ache? That's kind of what I feel like right now. That You see, that gives me palpitations. I was always told not to play in the casino, but to own the casino. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's a smart move. (laughs) I feel like marketing and particularly advertising budgets have been under attack for the duration of my career. But I'm hearing from hotels and hotel owners now that they want to put their money into revenue management rather than marketing. What do you think about that? I think it depends on the kind of hotel you are, what your goals are, the customer you're looking for. It's not for everybody. Uh, you can't just drive business and dump it on the OTAs. I mean, that's not a that's not a strategy. It's a hope and a wish and a prayer. <laughs> well, that's not very profitable. No, it's too much money. You're losing too much money. And in the end, you really want to make sure that marketing floats the boat. It depends on the goal. And it depends on um, how much profit you want to get out of a room. And you take a certain percentage of your rooms and you know that you want to get direct business from them and you have to support it if you're going to create a brand that is in the long run you know, has value, has has an experience for people. It's something they understand. So I think that it's the opportunity and it's a responsibility for you to your owner to maximize the res- revenue of your hotel. 
And if you don't support it with marketing, you may not get the most profit and revenue from it. I'm I'm not obviously knocking revenue managers. I think they do a great job. Um, and but I think they have to have revenue to manage, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, simple enough. This sounds like a good time to take a break. We'll get right back to my conversation with Jody Merle. Coming up, Jody describes some of her favorite campaigns and what she forgot to bring on her last trip. Be right back. Top Floor is supported by Cayuga Hospitality Consultants. For more than 35 years, Cayuga's international network of hospitality consultants has helped guide industry stakeholders from owners and operators to lenders and investors. Whether you need help with a short-term project or longer-term guidance, consultants bring executive-level lodging, food and beverage, asset management, and development expertise. Cayuga brings together every discipline of hospitality to deliver operational excellence and financial success. Learn more at cayugahospitality.com or call 866-386-4020. And Cayuga is spelled C-A-Y-U-G-A. So much ado has been made about the demise of traditional media. What kind of adjustments have you, has your company had to make over the sort of course of your existence and the changes between traditional media, online media, et cetera? Like what, what percentage do you do with print versus online, out of home, anything like that? Sure. So first of all, Every buy, every client is different. And everything we do is customized. I have to start with that. One size does not fit all ever. And so with that, it's different. If you're going to launch a new hotel, got a $100 million hotel, you have to reach a lot of people. You have to reach the kids, the parents, the grandparents. You have to reach the honeymoon. I mean, there's a whole world that you have to touch and reach in so many different places. So uh, traditional media is, you know, radio, television, newspapers. You've got to get people at different places in different times. So there's no one rule. But if I was launching a big brand hotel and some of it, you have to, again, go through the sectors. So the sectors, you know, you don't, you always float the boat. You make sure you're supporting sales. So if we're doing, you know, travel, meetings, group, you know, high season, low season, you're going to mix it up. And if it's a big brand launch, it could be 40% digital, 60% somewhat traditional, you might say, so that you're getting a higher end customer, someone who's going to go to a, you know, four or five star resort and you've got to hit them on a lot of different levels. Sometimes it is just digital campaign, could be, you know, staycation. So it could be 100% digital. It just depends on what the need is and what the goal is and what, what you're trying to achieve. But no matter what you do, I could say this 10 times during this show, do it consistently. It's never a one-shot deal. That makes a lot of sense. And that's something that I preach in my marketing consulting all the time. 
Right, right. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with some very tangible, tactical things to try either in their businesses or their lives. So I'm going to ask you some questions along those lines. What are some examples of great hotel promotions that you've seen in your career? Okay. Um, From a consistency level, from a hotel promotion, Years ago, every year, that years ago, the breakers started. You've heard of the $200 resort credit that started many, many moons ago to entice people to come in. Well, it was brilliant. And it was years and years and years ago. That was started at the breakers? I, I'm not sure if they were the first ones to do it. Mm-hmm. But you know, think about that. What did it really do? You have a resort credit and you're doing your advertising. So you're making sure you're hitting people with print, radio and television, high season and low season. And you've got this great resort credit and boom, people pick up the phone. They may never ask for the resort credit, but they, they don't, they're, they're worried about, let me, give me the best room. What's the best deal? What's included. And then, you know, it goes from there to the brilliance of what, you know, fine hotels and resorts might do. It's the buy three, get the fourth night free. But I think things that are really funny, I'm, this was fabulous. When we started the Mark Hotel and that the Mark Hotel still exists. It's very chic. It's very hip on the Upper East Side. And the general manager who went on to become the president of Taj Hotels, Raymond Bixen, didn't want the stuffiness. He didn't want the attitude. And he came up with a fabulous saying, no jacket, no tie, no attitude. Oh, wow. Fabulous. Yeah. So then with no jacket, no tie, no attitude, he printed black t-shirts and on the back it said no jacket, no tie, no attitude. And then we were placing ads for him in the New York Times. Cannot get more traditional than that. We placed two by sevens every single week in the Sunday travel section that had the t-shirt. I don't know if you remember those t-shirt ads, but they were incredible. And everybody went to the hotel. I want a t-shirt. Oh, they, wow. the, they, they wanted the t-shirt and it was very, very memorable. It was fabulous. And that was then, you know, now it's a little different, but to take you up to date, something very hip and cool. We also do business with the Faina in Miami beach, which is spectacularly magnificent and stunning. And they opened up a very sexy club and we were promoting their show called Say Rouge, which was a little sexy, intimate nightclub and very beautiful. And I said, okay, but you've really got to get the locals. It's not always just about tourists in Miami. It's about the locals and getting locals in. And we did, I kind of talked them into this one, but we took the people mover from downtown Miami uh, that went up to South Beach and was completely wrapped in the Say Rouge advertisement with this gorgeous girl. It was black with red and stunning. And it caused a huge social media flurry. It oh, was wow. wild. Yeah. That's that was fun. Cool. That I was love cool. it. Yeah. Different things. Use different sources. You know, you can be very hip and very chic and use traditional media to get a big wow message out that also will really impact. Uh, public relations and your social media interaction. This is a more personal question. I know you mm-hmm. just went to Anguilla. Mm-hmm. What was the most annoying thing that you forgot to pack? My dry shampoo. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, that's so funny. How was that trip? 
It was fabulous. You talk about, you know, being on point. Um, the island is very relaxed and very beautiful. Uh, and, and I think they're very careful about COVID. And even so, you still could enjoy yourself very much, be relaxed, enjoy the ambiance, and you also felt safe. Um, I think that's an island that really keeps to its roots with the food and the ambiance and the property I was at was stunning and gorgeous. Oh, cool. It was actually a marketer's dream. I was drooling over every touch point. <laughs> the sneakers, the, the pads in the room, they had umbrellas. Okay, it's Aurora Anguilla. It was so gorgeous. They had umbrellas and their, their touch point color is orange. So the outside of the umbrella is orange. The inside are these beautiful palm fronds. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the... At the uh, uh, you know, the different servers and the women are wearing these stunning beige, but with little hints of palm frond pleats and just the touch points were incredible. Oh, wow. So That's I was really doing, cool. Yeah, I was doing and eyeing my way through uh, that property. Yeah. Oh, definitely. awesome. Mm -hmm. All right, Jody. now we're going to predict the future a little bit. We're going to look into our crystal balls, maybe, you know, do some magic. Okay. Um, according to brokers and hotel real estate experts, right now, investors are really looking hard at extended stay and select service projects to buy or to invest in. Mm -hmm. At the same time... They're, all of these non-hotel lodging companies like Airbnb, Sonder, etc. continue to grow and to claim market share. So as someone with such a depth and breadth of experience on the luxury side, what mm -hmm. do you think is in the future for luxury hotels and resorts? Right. It's going to grow. There's no question because people want experiences. They want different experiences and they want to be served and they also want to be protected. I think what's going to happen, you may see smaller properties because people may want a little bit more intimate experience. You're seeing a lot of the big box hotels that did boutique hotels and they're now transitioning to become independent uh, because People do want experiences, again, safe, small experiences. Uh, luxury resorts are where it's at. I think that the owners also, in some cases, are looking at huge management companies and what's been happening, and they want to be more profitable. They want to do their own thing. They do want to create a little special experience. And so when it's coming back and being taken back, they have to do a lot of work. So with that work, they have to do marketing to establish their brand. Uh, the future for luxury hotels and resorts is on the rise. It's going to be spectacular and people are willing to spend money for something different. They are so tired of staying at home and they want something <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, it's true. Go. You know, this is one of, not one of, this is the only, I don't know if we can call it a recession, but this is one of the only black swan events for which rate is leading the recovery instead of occupancy. So I think you're right that people are willing to spend a little bit more. They are. What is next for you and for your company? We keep, we're very lucky because we, um, our company, as you said, in 30 years, uh, we're really lucky to have a lot of repeat business and repeat customers. Uh, and so the people who work with those people refer us to others. So our company will continue to grow. Um, we're also, when you talk about granular, we're looking at how to reach customers 
perhaps more intimately in different ways, uh, really, really grinding down into the access. Like on a podcast, (laughs) (laughs) straight into their ears. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, you know, but so we follow the money. We try to find, you know, really special psychographics and, and different influences. So we're working harder to get more for the hotels to help them really break through this clutter of all the digital that's making everybody crazy. So that's what we're doing as we're growing. And we're touching on different mediums. We're expanding. It's just beautiful. Uh, And even though it's 30 years with Ian Schrager and it's 30 years with the Breakers, you know, we're also working with new properties. They're very exciting, just like uh, Aurora and Willa. So we continue to grow, but we are... um, really testing the waters and doing media buying services for a variety of companies because our team is expert. They're professional. I have people with me for more than 20 years. So it's a comfort zone for people in the industry to know they can call us. We're hoteliers. We become an extension of their sales team. And I think successful companies are going to have to take that step. It's such an impersonal time right now, but people really need the personal touch for success. I like the way that you said that. Before we tell you goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Jody, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock? I think probably one of the best ones is that when you're in the hotel business, you sometimes have to get down your hands and knees and clean just like everybody else. And you do what you have to do to get your hotel opened. And it was the opening of Mondrian Hotel during the Olympics in California. And I knew Mr. Ashkenazi was going to do his final walkthrough. And I saw the schmudge and the whatever on the stainless steel doors. And I sat there with my hands and knees and my rag. And I got all the, you know, all of the smears and smudges out of those stainless steel doors. In addition to doing a run through the entire hotel and making sure it was perfect, it smelled good. (laughs) There were no cockroaches. And the orange juice tasted good. And the orange juice tasted good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It has Mm -hmm. been a pleasure to have you right up to the top floor. Thank you very much. It's delightful to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. You can find the show notes from today's episode at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 34. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.